Good evening, everybody. How is everyone going? I know this is a really strange time. You've all got about a foot in between the person next to you. How does that feel? Does it feel a little bit more spacious here at church? I kind of liked it in the worship time. I felt like I had my good little worship bubble. I could raise my hands without knocking the person next to me. So really use this space while we've got it for this time. My name's Adam. I'm one of our youth pastors here, and it is an absolute privilege to be sharing with you guys this evening. You know, when you, um, when you start doing a bit of preaching, you start doing some sermons, there's a tip that someone will always give you, and it's know your first line really, really well. And my first line for today was, have you ever been in a situation with a massive unknown? And it was meant to be that, oh, some of you would go, oh, maybe, I don't know, something like that. But I guess now we're in a situation where we don't really know what's going to happen. We're not really sure what's going to be happening next. And I remember being in a situation like this a few years ago when I was really quite young. When I was about three years old, I moved with my family from South Africa to the Netherlands. And it was, it was an awesome move. It was really exciting. And then came the day that mum and dad broke the news to me that, Adam, you've got to start school. I'd been to kindergarten before in South Africa, and I was really kind of enjoying just being at home with mum and my brother, just hanging out every day. But okay, school, I've, I've got to do this. I've done this before. You know, you go, you play with your friends. It's a good time. I'll, I'll do that. And so I went to my first day of school in the Netherlands and I rocked up and I realized, oh, they don't speak Afrikaans. This is going to be a little bit different. How do I approach this situation? And you see, the funny thing is, it happened to me again. About four years after that, mum and dad decided we we're going to move to Australia. So they went, okay, cool, let's put you in an English school. So I remember very clearly walking to my first day of grade one, now at an English school, only being able to say yes, no, and hi, and not really knowing what else was happening. Walking into the unknown can be really quite scary sometimes. I think the thing that freaked me out the most with that situation was, I think after about a week of being in school there, we had a fire drill. So I just hear alarms going off and people speaking a language I don't understand. And everyone's really calm and I can't understand why is everyone so calm? The building is on fire. I'm running to my little cubby. I'm like, okay, I need to get my lunchbox. I need to get my favorite toy. I need to get, and this, like, this is, why is everyone so chill? And obviously the teacher's talking, telling the students, it's okay, it's just a drill. They're just testing the alarm or whatever. It's all fine. I'm crying and panicking in my first week of school, not really sure what's going on. Eventually they go and they like line us up outside. I'm walking down with my backpack and my little teddy, not knowing what's happening. And I look around and everyone's, looking at me and everyone's standing there like everything's fine and sometimes we're in situations where there's an unknown where we don't know exactly what's going to happen you see I reckon the Hebrews felt a little bit like that at one stage in the Bible Right about the time when Jesus came I reckon the Hebrews had a moment where they just didn't really know what was going on. You see, their whole life, they prepared for the fact that the Messiah was coming. They knew this. They believed this. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. But when he finally turned up, it was a bit like, oh, is, it, is, is that now? I don't know about you, but if I was a Jew at the time, I reckon I would have been really skeptical. I reckon I would have had a lot of doubt. If someone just came and went, oh, I'm the Messiah, I would have been like, what? Isn't isn't that meant to come later? Isn't that a... 
Isn't that a promise for the future? And you see, the writer of Hebrews is is writing this letter to them to try and almost set things straight, to try and let them understand that, you know, your world hasn't been flipped upside down. Your world has been saved. That in this process of the unknown, the known is Jesus, and you'll be okay. For a Jewish person at the time, they would follow about 613 very specific commandments. It was, the old, it was the old law that we read in the early books of the Bible, and that was all that they knew. And suddenly Jesus comes and that gets wiped away because it's through him that we get to God, not through acts. You see, I reckon the writer is trying to tell the Hebrews, the Jewish people at this time, how they need to approach God in this new situation, how they need to approach God in this new scenario. And I reckon that we can read this, and I reckon that we can apply this to our current situation. Specifically, I think that we can apply this to how we approach prayer, to how we communicate with God, to how we interact with God. If you read Hebrews 10, it starts off basically with the writer setting out that you no longer need to make sacrifices. You don't need to go get a goat or get a chicken or get a lamb and and sacrifice that for God because the ultimate sacrifice has been made. Jesus has come and all sin is forgiven. And then the writer continues to this really cool part that I think tackles that idea of how we approach this. And we read in Hebrews 10, verse 19, reading to the start of verse 22, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings. This is a way that we can approach God in prayer. You see, I reckon this verse almost outlines two pillars that we can use to think about prayer. In verse 19, we read, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, the most holy place being an area that under the old covenant, only certain people or often only one person was allowed to go into because that was where God was. And for them to understand that the most holy place is now everywhere because God is no longer trapped into an area that's surrounded by a curtain that's left for one person. No, Jesus has come and that is open to everyone so that we can all understand God's majesty, so that we can all have incredible reverence and awe for who God is. You see, one pillar to prayer is understanding God's royalty and his majesty. When we pray, we are approaching a mighty, powerful God. And if we ignore that, if that pillar crumbles, it's the downfall to prayer. In verse 22, we read, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let us draw near to God. It's painting a picture of having this balance of majesty with the importance of intimacy. See, we need to approach God on relational terms. We need to approach him like a father because he is our father. We need to approach him like a close friend because he is a close friend. You see, if we approach him through intimacy of relationship, 
through majesty and intimacy, there's balance. And I think what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do here is trying to to kind of set them at ease and make them understand that these concepts that they had laws around, they were now empowered to do. And it's funny because isn't that the exact same way that Jesus told his disciples that they should approach God in prayer? When the disciples said to the Lord, teach us how to pray, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, that's relationship, that's intimacy, hallowed be your name, uplifting his majesty and his glory. See, the struggle that we have as humans by trying to keep things in perfect balance is we're not in that equation. Because we live in a broken world, we like to put ourselves on top. You see, we sometimes like to lower God from royal or majestic standards to be a bit lower so that we can elevate ourselves. And it's kind of the sinful nature of the world we're in. In fact, it's the first sin. When Eve was tempted in the garden, the serpent said to her, surely you won't die when you eat this fruit. You see, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You see, when sin entered the world, it threw the scales off. It adjusted the way that we thought about prayer. And it elevated us. And isn't that what the world's culture is telling us to do right now? Isn't everywhere we look, it's that you're at the center, that you're the most important thing, that nothing else matters except you. What's prayer without wonder? What's prayer without a true awe for God? At that stage, it's it's just kind of a shopping list of our desires and needs and things that we want this guy to take care of, but it's a guy that if we don't respect him is someone we don't have a relationship with. You see, that's the other downside. If we, if we lose that intimacy component. You see, the religions of the world like to think of their gods as being distant. This idea that God is over there and, and that is how we create the majesty for God because, no, 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 a king can't be close to his subjects. And it leads us down a path where we think that, oh, no, God's really important. You know, he's over there and he, like, maybe, maybe he doesn't care about the little things. Maybe he doesn't care that I sprained my ankle or that, or that I hurt my arm or, or anything else that's going on there. You see, if we buy into the idea that God doesn't care about those little things, it reduces the intimacy we have with them. Because it's no longer a close friend who wants to hear everything, it's someone who sometimes wants to hear something, who only cares about the important things that that, that dwell on them, but that's just not the case for God. So how do we do this? How do we uphold his majesty and his royalty, yet stay in close relationship with intimacy? How do we have this amazing balance in our pillars? And I think it's simply just having this little idea in our head when we pray, and that is when we are praying, we are praying to God through the Son 
by the Spirit. Let me say that again. We are praying to God through the Son by the Spirit. We are praying to God through the Son by the Spirit. See, if we go to God, we're respecting His majesty. We're respecting that He is the King and Creator of all and He knows what's up. And that can be as simple as starting a prayer with, Dear God, dear Heavenly Father, we honor that we are going to Him. We are respecting Him in that. And we go through Jesus. We are showing that we have a close relationship with Him. One of the ways that we do that with prayer, we often do so easily. We often say it right before we say the word Amen. In Jesus' name. We acknowledge that the things that we are bringing to God, we are bringing through His Son because we are close with Him, because there is no longer a curtain dividing us from God, because Jesus has come and we can be in relationship with Him. And lastly, we can do this by the Spirit. Doing it with faith, with full trust. Verse 22 continues to say, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure waters. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. It is with full assurance that faith brings. See, if we have full assurance in our faith, if we go by the Spirit, we're not only honoring the two pillars, but we're creating a foundation for them that it becomes harder and harder for them to crumble down. It might start off a little bit that in our prayers this week, we try to pray to God through the Son, by the Spirit. And as soon as we focus on the faith element, if we keep doing that, if we keep building that up, not only will those pillars grow taller and stronger, but so will our foundation in Him. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. You see, we read in there that we were cleansed by Jesus. His sacrifice for us cleansed us. It was a clean slate. But I think that there's also something else that comes with that. And it's the Spirit giving us a nudge. Asking us what our next step of faith will be. You see, if we pray by the Spirit, we allow the Spirit to guide us. I wonder what that will be for you today. I wonder what your next step of faith will be. Maybe it's baptism and publicly declaring your love for God. Maybe it's going to the prayer room at the end of the service tonight and and just bringing anything you have to God. Maybe there's something very specific that the Spirit's put on your heart tonight. Can I encourage you to pray by the Spirit tonight? To let the Spirit guide you to see what God is doing in your life. See, I don't know exactly what's going to be coming up in your lives. In fact, I don't think any of us know what's going to be happening in the next few weeks. But let's strive for closeness in our relationship with God in this unknown. Because I can tell you one thing. 
in the unknown of the next few weeks or whatever that may hold, there is one known, and that known is Jesus. And it's not like the old days where we have to go to one spot to try and feel God or hear God or talk to God because Jesus is everywhere and we can always be doing that. Let me challenge you this week. Set an alarm for yourself at 12 o'clock every day. Let's pray. Let's pray with full assurance that God is listening. Let's pray upholding his majesty with close intimacy by the Spirit. Because you see, he does care about the little things. And even though we have no idea how to approach the situation, whether it's that we have to buy 48 rolls of toilet paper and as much frozen meals as possible, or whether it's just finding time to pray, to be still, and to let God's Spirit guide you in this place. You see, if Jesus can be a constant through it all, that means us as Christians can be constant through it all. We can continue to be a beacon of hope, a beacon of peace. Our friends will look around us and see peace in our hearts and go, how can you feel that at this time? And then I believe that they're slowly going to be able to understand what God's Spirit is doing, the incredible peace that he brings. So let's pray to God, acknowledging his majesty through Jesus with close relationship and intimacy and by the Spirit with unwavering faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this incredible approach. Lord, I want to thank you that you care about the little things. And Lord, I want to thank you that you also care about the big things with the unknowns that tackle us in life. Lord, I want to pray for absolute peace in this situation. I want to pray that as we strive this week to spend more time in prayer with you, that we remember we are coming to you, our Father, our amazing guidance. Lord, I pray that we can go through Jesus who you sacrificed for us so that we may live. And Lord, I want to pray that we can do this by the Spirit, that your Spirit can can reveal new things to us this week as we spend time looking at you. Lord, I want to thank you for your absolute love and that in this season of unknown, you are the one true known. So let us remember your majesty. Let us remember your royalty. Let's strive to be in close relationship with you because if we've got two rock solid pillars with a foundation of faith, I believe mountains can be moved and viruses can be healed. Let's worship our King together. In Jesus' name, amen.